I love that thought line, make my heart your Bethlehem. It's a prayer that all of us could pray this Christmas. And uh, when you look at Christmas, it really is all about giving and surrendering and noticing. When you go back to that first story, and it's more than just that pile of gift wrap boxes that are around somebody's tree that you're going to be part of unwrapping in the next several hours. Jesus surrendered being divine. We can't really imagine what it would have been like to surrender the rights and privileges of heaven and being the Son of God and then coming to a hostile planet. God gave his only begotten Son. Mary surrendered and she gave. Uh, and the, 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 the line, the only thing my heart can offer is a vacancy. Reminds me of a theologian who said that in each human heart is a God-shaped void. And we go along through our lives searching to try to fill that. And nothing satisfies us until we fill that void with the love of Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight, maybe you're here out of respect for loved ones who invited you. Or it's, a, it's a, just a Christmas tradition or a religious observance. But if you don't have that personal relationship with Christ, that, that place in you is empty. We'd encourage you this Christmas to pray a, a simple prayer before this service is done, surrendering yourself to the one who came not just to be a baby in a manger, but to be the Lord of our lives. So let me kind of take us back to that idea of Bethlehem and where it's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. I'll tell you about the first, or read the first few verses before we put it on the screen. But it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod heard the, the, the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. There's loads of history and significance in those few verses. If we understand Herod as an ancient king, he was appointed by Rome to be the king in Jerusalem over Israel. And history tells us he was paranoid, he was a bit of an egomaniac, easily threatened. So much so that history tells us Herod had two of his own sons assassinated because he was fearful they were trying to overthrow his throne. You can imagine then when royal wise men came from hundreds of miles away saying, where is this one who's born king of the Jews? And when it says that when he heard this, Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with them, with him. Wow, if he's troubled, we're all troubled because who knows what's going to happen. But backing up before that, I have a question. I don't know if you ever thought about it before. After he was born in Bethlehem, uh, there came these wise men saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And as far as we know from Scripture, there were these uh, noble scholars who came from the Middle East or the Far East, came in a caravan, where they would have traveled for weeks or months to get there. And they saw the star over Bethlehem, and they did some calculation. They looked at prophetic readings and came to the conclusion, we need to go there. Other than that, all we know of are shepherds who were keeping watch of, the, of their, their sheep by night. An angelic host appeared to them, telling them to go to Bethlehem. I want to ask the question, where was everybody else? I mean, where was the whole town of Bethlehem certainly had to wonder what that bright star was. Did no one else put two and two together? Was no one curious enough? Did no one notice that the Son of God was being born there in Bethlehem in their little town? And Bethlehem is a little town. It's obscure. I was there a few years ago, and even to this day, if you don't see the sign that says Bethlehem, you're going to drive right by it. And it got me thinking, I wonder... 
How often is God doing something and I'm too busy to notice? How many times is Jesus involved in something in my life and I don't even pay attention because it's not in my set of expectations or I'm too preoccupied and I'm too busy? And uh, just to kind of get a reality check, have you ever missed an exit? Or better yet, have you ever driven to work? We live three and a half miles from here, but in the three and a half miles from home to, to CLC, there are many days, I hate to admit it, I will pull in my parking space and like, I don't even remember making turns. You just get preoccupied, right? And so I wonder how many times God's done something or been about something in my life, in your life, and we're just too preoccupied to notice. So let's take a, a lesson, let's take a perspective from Christmas, from that first Christmas, and be more aware that God is working and God is on the move and God is up to something, and you want to make sure that you notice that. And so in Matthew chapter 2, verse 5, it says, they said to Herod in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And they quote from Micah, who was written seven centuries before. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So we see this prophecy that is being fulfilled before their very eyes. And it's important to remind ourselves that Jesus comes, God does some of his greatest works in the least of us. Bethlehem was nothing special. Five miles from Jerusalem that got all the attention. In fact, I'm glad Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. I'm glad he wasn't born in Rome or some other amazing city. I'm glad instead he was born in some obscure little town. And yet, at his birth, as everyone from shepherds who were very commonplace and, and royal wise men at the other end of the socioeconomic societal scale, to know that Jesus is available to all of us that are here. Another thought is to be born in me is more than a lyric to a song. It's really God's plan and God's invitation. Because Christmas is, is not just a, a birth narrative of a baby in a manger in a stable Christmas and this story about which we're gathered tonight is really part of a much larger story. It's the gospel message. And so we read about the birth of Christ in the early chapters of the gospels, the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then bookending the story of Jesus at the end of the gospel of John is Jesus himself, this baby grown up. And he's, he's reinforcing that idea of being born in us. In John 17, 22, at the Last Supper, he's praying for his disciples to his heavenly Father. And he says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known to, so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. There is that I want to be in them. This isn't just a, a come and see the baby Jesus. Isn't that sweet? It isn't even see what Jesus did and how he performed miracles on the earth and, and who he was. But Jesus wants there to be a connection that goes soul deep. I in them, you and me. And when that happens, there is a sense of peace that he comes to bring. Jesus tells us, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. 
It's a peace that guards your, your emotional life, your heart, and it guards your thought life, your mind. And in a, in a day and age when anxiety and depression are epidemic among us, the, the invitation or the gift of what Christ came to bring us at Christmas is, is more beautiful than ever. But with the peace, there's something else. The angels announced peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And Charles Spurgeon said, when the Lord Jesus has come, become your peace... Remember, there is another thing, goodwill towards men. Do not try to keep Christmas without goodwill towards men, toward others. And so while Christmas is a day and a set and a time of activities and traditions, and a tradition even like this, Christmas is also meant to be a lifestyle, the Christmas lifestyle. So think for a minute, what does the season set you up? What do you do during the Christmas season? How do you feel? How do you relate to people? What thoughts are in your mind and, and, and feelings in your heart that set Christmas apart? Think about it. And we tend to smile. We tend to be more charitable. Well, that, that's something that, that is meant to be expressed and lived among us and through us all year long. And this Third thought, I wrote it and then I thought about it and I thought, well, I don't experience that as truth, so not that I'm the standard of truth in what I preach, but I reworded it. I originally wrote, the Bethlehem of our hearts is always filled with hope. I mean, think of how hope-filled Bethlehem was when Jesus was born. But then I thought, you know, my heart, there are times it's not filled with hope. There are times my heart is filled with, it's overwhelmed, Maybe even despair or sadness or heartache or confusion or doubt or fear. So I can't say that it's always just hope, hope, hope. If you look at Bethlehem, what happened afterwards, once Herod knew that the wise men that came to worship this newborn king didn't come back and tell him where he was, his plan was to execute that baby. All hell broke loose in Bethlehem and there wasn't peace. He had every baby boy two years of, 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 old, of age and younger killed. And so even in ancient Bethlehem, it's not always filled with hope and peace. But the default, what I adjust back to after I go through seasons of struggle, seasons of pain, moments of heartache, what I, what I adjust back to is hope. And for that, I'll go not to a Christmas passage, but a writing by the Apostle Paul. Again, because the birth of Jesus is about so much more. It's about the life of Jesus and the purpose of Christ and what he brings to us and the relationship he wants us to have. Colossians chapter 1, he says, To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. Would you say glory of this mystery? I first read this verse probably when I was a teenager, and it, it hit me, and I, I still don't fully understand it. This mystery among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, Christ in me. What does that really mean? Because there's a whole lot of stand inside for them, I can see. A whole lot of stand thoughts and stand feelings and stand actions, just like there are for you. But there's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And J.I. Packer said the Christmas message is that there is hope for an otherwise ruined humanity. There's hope of, of pardon. There's hope of peace. There's hope of glory. There's hope of purpose. There's hope of strength and God's presence. Because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor, was born in a stable, so that 30-some years later, he might hang on a cross. It's the most wonderful message the world has ever heard or will hear. And so I have this Christ in me, 
Jesus tried to make that clear, although it's still hazy to me at the Last Supper, as he and the Father are in each other in one, so he wants to be in us and we are one. And when we have the hope of glory, it's not the hope of everything always going the way you want it to. And because I know that uh, we only have childcare up through three years old tonight, I'm going to talk in adult code. It's not like you, how did I write it down? How you sit on a red-suited senior citizen's lap and share your yuletide wishes, requests, and they says, okay, it's all yours, okay? In case you still have that story going on. It, Jesus isn't like that. And the hope of glory isn't like, oh, great, and everything, you know, always, all, my, all my dreams come true. No, it's the hope of glory. It's the hope of a someday. It's the hope of someday being with him. It's the hope of making it through this life, uh, through the joys and the blessings, but the heartache and the pain, and then being one with him. And Paul goes on to say that since I have Christ in me, the hope of glory, verse 29, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And so now it's no longer my strength, my ability, but his. And when I'm weak, as Paul learned, then I can be strong. It's the strength, not from this little baby, but this little baby who would then become the son of God and, and live and show that love and that life and that power to us. And so as Paul said, I labor according to that power. What do we labor in? Not to be good enough to get to heaven. We can never work hard enough for that. But Jesus, as a grown-up, said that we should let our light shine before others in such a way that they'll see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven, just as they did when they saw baby Jesus. And finally, Jesus is more than a baby sent to Bethlehem. And this next verse that I want to read is, again, not a classic Christmas verse, but it's for the benefit of all of you who are waiting. And right when I said that, that clicked for a lot of people who are waiting. Maybe it's a desire that just isn't fulfilled. Maybe it's a prayer that you've prayed, a request you've asked God, and you, you plead, and you, you wait, and you watch, and it doesn't. You're waiting. You're longing. And I find that in the seasons of waiting in life, the seasons of longing in life, we've got an adversary, Satan, and he does some of his best discouraging work in those seasons of waiting. We don't know what to tell ourselves. So in Galatians chapter 4, he's talking about the birth of Jesus from a historical theological perspective. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time came, say fullness of time. When the fullness of time, when the right time, when God decided it was time, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Let me stop there. Fullness of time. We realize what that's really referring to. In this book, in the Bible, in the early chapters, in fact, Genesis chapter 3, is the first promise of a Savior who will be born through the lineage of humanity. But it gets specific with a man named Abraham in about the 12th chapter of Genesis. And God makes a promise to Abraham when he's 90, some 90 years old. And he says, I'm going to make you a threefold promise. One, through your descendants. And at this time, he had no children of his own. Through your descendants, you're going to become a great nation. And he became the forefather of the nation of Israel. 
Second, I'm going to bless you with a, with a land as far as you can see, north, south, east, and west, and that's the promised land of Israel they're in today. And third, through your descendants, all the inhabitants, all the people of the earth will be blessed. Talk about the fullness of time. Paul said in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. That was 2,000 years B.C. Fast forward 2,000 years through the Old Testament and you get to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament and the first chapter and Matthew goes through the Ancestry.com, the genealogy of Jesus and traces it all the way back 2,000 years through Abraham. Imagine the waiting, the centuries of longing for a Savior and to the foolish, to the short-sighted, to, the, to the, the longing in heart, they could easily have thought, well, God's forgotten us. God isn't one to be trusted. But no, in the fullness of time, God was faithful. And so it reminds me in my life, I found that God's timing and my timing are not much the same. He takes way too long. Can I hear an amen? But he's faithful and he can be trusted. And if you're waiting, don't allow the wait to be used against you. Don't allow the lingering to make you feel you're lost. But instead, lean into the one who said, in the fullness of time, I'll be faithful in your life and you'll see it come to pass. Verse five, so he might redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as children. Because you are children, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. That word like calling out Daddy. And you go to John chapter 1, verse 4. And it says, In him, Christ was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become, would you say children of God? Even to those who believe in his name. And this baby, this Christ child we celebrate, came to this earth so that you and I could likewise become children of God. And a contemporary worship song celebrates the fact that we're the sons and daughters of God. If we accept Jesus Christ and invite him into our lives as Lord and Savior. We become sons and daughters of his and it makes all the difference in the world. C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons, children of God. For the Christmas spirit, J.I. Packer said, it's the spirit of those who like their master, like their Savior, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor, spending and being spent, to enrich their fellow men, giving time, trouble, care, and concern, to do good to others, and not just their own friends, but in whatever way there seems a need. I'm going to read that again because that doesn't sound like a lot of contemporary Christian ambition. We sit in gatherings like this and celebrate how victorious we are and what overcomers we are and how blessed we are, and it has so much to do with us. But Packer takes us back to the one, that baby, who would live his life and model for us the kingdom of God and the love of God and tell us to follow him and live the same. The Christmas spirit is the spirit of those who, like their master, their savior, live their whole lives on the principle of making themselves poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Spending and being spent to enrich others, 
giving time, trouble, care, and concern to do good to their fellow men and not just their own friends in whatever way there seems need. So we thought this Christmas Eve we'd close as we do every year with a time of communion. And I'd like to read for you as you get the elements out and prepare them at your seat. I'd like to read for you a it's a, not a classical communion passage. Normally when we take communion, I'll go to the end of the Gospels where it's the story of the Last Supper where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper communion. Or I'll go to Corinthians where Paul says, I received from the Lord what he delivered to me and talk about the bread and the cup. But I'd like to read for you instead what really at the birth of Christ, I think, defines to us the essence and the significance of why we remember Jesus, we eat bread that represents his body and we drink a cup that represents his blood. The angel talking to Joseph said, Mary, take Mary as your wife for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and she'll bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place that what was spoken of through, by the Lord, through the prophet, might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin will be with child, and shall bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I think the epitome of taking Christ with me is to eat bread that represents his body and drink cup that represents his blood. Talk about Christ with me. Talk about Jesus saying, I want to be in them and they in me. I want there to be an interchangeableness between us. I want us to be one. I want to have Christ within me, the hope of glory. Why that baby came. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me before we take the elements. And if you're not a believer, many this weekend have prayed a prayer just asking Jesus to forgive them of their sins and they surrender their life to him. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I encourage you to do that and receive the greatest gift of all, eternal life right now in the quietness of this moment. For those of us that are believers, the Bible says to search our hearts at a time like this. And so ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. If he nudges you, you're a bit too guilty of not noticing what God is doing. You're too preoccupied. Ask him to slow you down and maybe open the eyes of your heart. If you're in that waiting season and you're wondering and you're longing and you're fading, fighting bitterness, ask Him to give you a trust in the fullness of time, of His time. And ask Him to help you to not just celebrate Christmas, but live with an attitude about Christmas and the kindness and compassion and unselfishness all year long. So Jesus, the irony is not lost on us that the, the season and the day that we celebrate you coming to earth often finds us so busy we barely take the time to notice the beauty of the moment. And so we slow ourselves down tonight just to reflect on you, to whisper a quiet prayer of gratitude and thank you for coming. Thank you that you are God with us. Help us to notice you more within us and around us and Lord, we pray that you would make our heart your Bethlehem. Make our heart the place that you can come, that you can live, that you can belong. And in that, help people to see Christ within us, the hope of glory. Help us as Christians to be the most hopeful, optimistic people where we work, where we live, 
to go to school, where we serve, whatever the case might be, because we have an undying hope that is Christ. And so, Lord, we remember you from your birth to your death and beyond. And we do that tonight by taking this bread that represents you and this cup that represents your blood with gratitude and praise. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand together with us now? As we conclude, our tradition is indeed to to adore him on this Christmas Eve. accept Christ tonight. Many have this weekend already. Stop by the welcome room. We have this gift to give you that'll explain the decision you made as well as what your next steps are. Otherwise, we wish you a very Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. Have an amazing holiday. Thanks for being here.